Well, we are in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Colossians 3. Um, If you are visiting with us today, especially glad to have you. I'd love to get to meet you after this service. If you have time uh, and want to uh, come by the front, I'll be up here hanging out. Um, We are in Colossians 3, a little more about that in a minute. Uh, Men, first of all, I want to remind you, next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, we've got a men's breakfast at 8 a.m., so hopefully you'll make plans to be a part of this. If you were at the last one, uh, you know how good it was to get together and share a meal and enjoy fellowship, Um, and so we'll be at the same place we were last time. If you weren't there last time, let me just give you some instructions. So we're actually going to meet down the road uh, west of the church, about a mile on the left, on the south side of White Settlement Road, is a subdivision called the Hills of Windridge, and they have a community center there that you can see kind of on the western part of the subdivision. That's where we're going to meet for that breakfast. So this coming Saturday, 8 a.m., Hills of Windridge. If you're coming, we do need you to go online and go ahead and register so we can make sure we've got enough food and enough different kinds of food uh, to make the meal come together. So you can go to the website, go to events, men's breakfast, and just sign up there. It's super simple, doesn't cost anything, but it lets us get a head count so we can plan for that next Saturday, 8 a.m. Also, uh, right after that, at around 10 a.m., um, I'd like a, a few guys, if you're available, uh, to stop by the church. We're going to have just a small work day to get some things knocked out in preparation for our new construction coming. So if, uh, if you have a skill set, we're going to be cutting out some rock. We're going to be uh, setting, hopefully setting a set of double doors uh, and then cutting out some sheetrock and framing in a case to opening. If any of that falls within your skill set, right after breakfast next Saturday, I invite you to join me here at 10 a.m. for a little work day and we'll see how much we can get knocked out, okay? So that's all coming up this coming Saturday. So we are in Ephesians 3, uh, continuing in our, uh, excuse me, uh, Colossians 3. Uh, Colossians 3, continuing in our Colossians sermon series. And uh, and so far, we've covered chapter 1 and 2, where the primary theme of Paul's writing has, has come out. He is primarily writing to establish the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus. He is supreme over everything, over the universe, over creation, over mankind, over the church. He is the head of everything. And so now what's going to happen in chapter 3, we're going to cover the first four verses. Paul is going to transition into talking about how the supremacy of Christ translates into our everyday practical life. What does that mean for Christ to be supreme in our lives? And so chapter 3 Uh, starting in verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what Paul's doing is he's transitioning that first phrase, if you have been raised with Christ, meaning if Christ has become your savior, um, your everything, your life is now hidden with him. You have, your old you has now died and been buried with Christ and you by faith have been raised to walk in a new life. So if that's true, then if you have been raised with Christ, then He's going to give us two commands. The first one comes across in the ESV as seek. Seek things that are above. 
Now, the second command is going to come in the very next verse. It's almost the same thing. He says, set your minds on things that are above. So really what Paul is doing is he's given us one command that kind of has two facets to it or two, uh, two different ways of looking at it. So the first thing he says is seek. So what does he mean by that? What does that word mean for me to seek things that are above versus things that are below? Then I need to ask the question, how do I know if I'm seeking things that are above or things below? And if I establish that I'm actually seeking things that are below, how do I redirect that to seek the things that are above? And this is where we're headed this morning. So first thing is this, he, he uses a word. It's a really big word. It has a lot of meaning to it. So I'm gonna give you some of those meanings for this word that we translate seek. Um, it also means to inquire about or be curious about. So he's saying, inquire about things that are above. Be curious about things that are above. Another way you could translate it is to desire. So he's speaking to our desires. Desire things that are above, not things that are below. Another way that this could translate would be to aim at or to strive for. So he's talking about the trajectory of your life. Point your life at things that are above, not things that are below. And then this last meaning that I think we can all relate to is the idea of craving. We all know what craving is, right? We crave things, don't we? We crave chocolate. I crave ice cream. I should quit thinking about it right now because I'm starting to crave it even more. I crave coffee. When I wake up in the mornings, you crave coffee. I crave coffee. Sometimes in the afternoons, I crave coffee. And if I drink coffee, give in to that craving, then I stay up late. And the next morning, I need even more coffee. And it's this vicious caffeine cycle. So we know what craving means, right? So he's saying in this word, seek, um, is the idea of craving things that are above rather than craving things that are here below. And then he follows that up in verse two and says, set your minds on things that are above and not things below on the earth. Now this word is similar, but it's a little bit different because it invokes the idea of exercising your mind or be becoming obedient with how you think about things or setting, locking in your attention on something. So while the first one deals with desires and cravings and a, even my heart affections, the second word is more of an act of the will. It's a decision I make. I'm exercising my brain. I'm intentionally thinking about something. And so he says, seek the things that are above and set your mind on things that are above. If you're reading from the NIV, I think the uh, translators of the NIV have captured the essence really well on what Paul's getting at here. So here's how it's worded in the NIV. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then the verse two, set your mind on things above. So this idea of setting your heart and setting your mind. Your heart's affections, setting those on Christ or setting those on things that are above. And then the things that you're thinking about, your mind's attention, set that on things that are above as well. That's essentially what Paul's getting at here. Set your mind and set your heart on things that are above. So there's this connection between what I think and what I desire, what I want, what I crave, and what I think about. So how do you know what your heart and your mind are pointed towards? And here's why I'm asking that question, because surely he doesn't mean 
never think about anything on earth because we still have to function, don't we? I still have to think about eating and taking a bath and going to sleep and raising my kids. And I have to think about going to work and driving in traffic and using my blinkers. I like to think about things here on earth. So he's, he's not saying disengage and don't think about anything. He means something different. So how do I know, am I just thinking about things on earth or am I craving them? Am I just thinking about work or have I become maybe obsessed with it? And so we're gonna go to um, some counsel from Jesus now on how to know really what our mind and our heart is set on. Am I just thinking about work or is my heart set on work? So in Luke chapter six, Jesus is teaching about how out of a good heart come good things and out of an evil heart come evil things. And here's what he says. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So when we crave and desire good things, we've made good things our treasure, out of our life will come then what? Good things. In a similar way though, when we crave or desire evil things, he says, listen, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, makes sense. So how do we know then? Look at what he says next. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So one way to know what's in a person's heart is to listen to their words. It's a pretty good litmus test, isn't it? For what they're thinking about, what they're desiring, and what they want. And so the implication here is then if I've got evil in my heart, you're gonna know it just by listening to my words. I'm gonna speak evil. What do we mean by speaking evil? Well, I'm gonna say things that are maybe haphazardly and unnecessarily hurtful towards you. That doesn't mean that, 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 that there isn't a time to say things that hurt. Sometimes we share the truth in love and it hurts. We need it. But if I'm being, if I'm being vicious with my words, that's not necessary. If I'm being hateful, I'm being unnecessarily hurtful, then you're gonna know something's going on on the inside. Now, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you are a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you've ever had a friend that you've gotten frustrated with, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Where you say something, right? And then you see the look on the other person's face and you realize, I just hurt you. And then we always follow that with a statement, I, did, I didn't mean that. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is actually you did because what you spoke was just an overflow and reflection of what was going on inside your heart. You may regret that you said it, but don't say you didn't mean it, Right? And so what Jesus is saying is one of the ways you can tell what's going on in a person's heart is listen to their words. And I think this is a big deal for Jesus because if you go to Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about murder. And then he compares murder towards harboring like anger towards somebody and calling them a fool. And he says, when you do that, it's, it's like murder. It's like putting them to death with your words. So Jesus really places a lot of weight on our words. And so one way you can evaluate what matters to you is by listening to your own words. Now the second part of this is not just the evil words, but it's the quantity or the abundance of words. What do you spend a lot of time talking about? So uh, this, there's been a myth around for a while, a couple of generations, that, that women talk more than men during the day. And recently some, some, some scientists have actually set out and studied this, and it's not actually true. Um, maybe by just a few words, women speak more, but it's more about your personality, whether or not you speak more or less. But the point is, the average human being speaks about 15,000 words a day. 
on average. Now, some as many as 40,000. Oh, dear God. I don't want to be around that person. But some as few as like 600 words. I guess this is the person who's like maybe living by themselves in the woods. But the average person, you and I, we typically speak about 15,000 words. And so the question is, how are you using these words? What are you speaking about? One way to know that you've set your mind on something or your, your heart on something is to listen to what you talk about. And so what Jesus is also talking, he's like, listen, set your mind and your heart on things that are above and here's how we'll know it. You'll spend a lot of time talking about it and less time talking about what? Things on earth. So one of the ways you could really evaluate this is to... Um, this is risky and, and takes a lot of courage. Ask somebody who knows you well, hey, what do I talk too much about? What do I spend too much time talking about? Now, you, you, you don't really want the answer to that question, but the answer to that question would be really helpful, couldn't it? Right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. Your words are gonna reflect what you care about, what matters to you, what your mind is fixed on, what your heart is set on. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, can't help it. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute when we talk about how to redirect our heart and our mind. But the second thing I want to point out from the counsel of Jesus is Matthew 6, and he talks about the connection between our emotions, and so not just our words, but our emotions. In chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 21, again, talking about treasure, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That makes sense, right? What matters to me it's where my heart is. So how do we know? Well, then right after that, he talks about being anxious about things. In verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, he didn't say don't think about these things. He didn't say don't eat and don't take a bath. He said don't be anxious about these things. So there's a difference, right, between being concerned about something versus being anxious. There's a difference between working hard at my job and being obsessed with it, right? And so one of the ways we can tell what, what our mind is fixed upon and what our heart is directed towards is looking for our emotional responses. What makes you angry? What makes you sad? What makes you anxious? What stresses you out? What brings you joy? Like what gets you excited? Right, these, are, these emotional indicators let us know what our mind and our heart are set on. Because it's not enough to just say, well I'm a Christian, I go to church, therefore my heart and my mind are fixed on Jesus. Because our words and our emotions might be revealing something completely different, right? So. It's interesting, in this same passage in Matthew 6, look what Jesus says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's saying the same thing Paul is. Seek things that are where? Above. God's kingdom. And then everything on earth will take care of itself. But when you become consumed by, obsessed with, focused on the things of earth, you're gonna neglect Christ. You're gonna neglect who you are in Christ. And so, I want to talk for just a minute about another component of this, not only our emotions and our words, but also what we do with our imagination. So, 
the misunderstanding about the imagination is that the imagination is only for make-believe and fiction. That's not true. You were blessed by God with an imagination. Some, we have different capacities of imagination. Some of us are very imaginative, imaginative. Some of us have limited imaginations. However, you have one. And it's not solely for the purpose of fiction or make-believe. I'll just give you a practical example. Um, this, was, this is the Wright brothers who invented the airplane. They took the first flight, uh, December 17th, 1903, I think. Uh, that was the first time uh, the Kitty Hawk was the name of the plane, took off, off the ground, actually flew. But there were tons of failed attempts before that. Okay, what kept driving the Wright brothers to keep trying and keep driving? The first flight of the plane didn't take place on December 17th. It took place long before that in the imaginations of the Wright brothers. They saw it in their mind. They imagined what could happen, what could be, and they kept working at it. So that wasn't neither good nor evil. That's the imagination, how powerful the imagination is. Now, the imagination unredeemed by Christ becomes the playground of Satan. This is where Satan lies to us. This is where Satan convinces you to to find pleasure in things and cravings of things that don't lead to life, they lead to death. So the imagination can be used for evil, right? This This is what happens when our imagination is not redeemed by Christ, when our imagination is fixed on things that are below and not above, it becomes a playground for malevolence and, lead, and leads to sinful behavior. The fallen nature takes the imagination and when we, when we become uncomfortable with any circumstance, the imagination imagines what would make us comfortable and then we seek after it, whatever it is. Whatever it is, another drink, pleasure in this, or when we find ourselves lonely, when our imagination, right, is, is driven by the cravings of the flesh, we get lonely, the imagination imagines what'll make me not feel lonely, and then I seek after it. You see how that works? And so Paul is saying, listen, church, with your words, with your emotions, with your imaginations, seek things that are above. Now, when we talk about the imagination, like this is what meditation is. The scriptures call us to meditate, right? To meditate on God's word and to meditate on who he is, right? That's what meditation it is, is is taking a biblical concept and thinking about it in your mind, imagining it, right? The imagination can be such a powerful tool when when it's partnered with scripture, Like, you won't even begin to think about understanding the book of Revelation without engaging your imagination. Go to the book of Psalms. It's a beautiful place to engage your imagination. What are the psalmists writing about? They're describing these things and imagine them in your mind. So this is where we engage our imagination. Now, going back to our words, you know, James says that our tongue is like the rudder of a ship. And so if you find yourself fixed on things that are on earth and you, you find yourself talking a lot about things that in the big picture don't really matter, how do you redirect your mind and your heart? Start talking about other things. Talking about things that are above. Engaging in conversations that, that have to do with Christ and his kingdom. And we, we begin to redirect our thinking. Because it can become challenging. First of all, who stops to think about what they're thinking about? When was the last time you stopped to think about what you're thinking about? We don't. We just roll. 
We just think and we go and we move, right? And so Paul is saying, hey, hey, Christian, tap the brakes for a minute. Think about what you're thinking about. So let's suppose we do that. We stop and we think about it. And we realize, you know what? There are some areas in my life where I am, my mind is fixed on things of the earth and my affections are set on the things of the earth. So how do I redirect it? How do I stop thinking about something? Have you ever tried that, to stop thinking about something? What inevitably happens? You, start, you think about it more, don't you? We're, I'm working on this with, with my boys who are eight and 11 on simple things, like when you stump your toe. If you stop what you're doing to think about it, guess what's gonna happen to the pain? It's gonna hurt worse. Or we're driving down the road and they're like, I gotta go to the bathroom, I gotta go to the bathroom. Well, that's fine, but we don't have anywhere to go right now. You're gonna have to hold it. So, but if you keep thinking about it, guess what? You're gonna have to go even more. So, right, quit thinking about it. Or, right, you're hungry. I know you're, I know you're hungry, but it's gonna be a little bit. Well, I'm hungry. The more you think about it, the hungrier you're gonna get, right? So it's hard to stop thinking about something. So, but here's the truth. As human beings, we really can't think about and focus on more than one thing at a time. As much as we like to think that we're multitaskers, you really can only focus on one thing and then everything else is just muscle memory. So here's, here's how we do that. Rather than just trying to stop thinking about something of the earth, we have to start thinking about something above and guess what happens to thinking about things on the earth? It goes away. You with me? You have to trade it for something, right? You can't just go into this state of thinking about nothingness. I know there are a lot of men who think they can do that, right? What are you thinking about, nothing? What you mean is nothing I want to talk about. You're not thinking about nothing, right? Because why? Because as long as we're thinking, we're thinking about something. Even if we're thinking about not thinking about something, we're thinking about something, right? So you can't just stop thinking. So what Paul is saying is like redirect your mind, redirect your thoughts, redirect your imagination to things that are above, which leads us to really the final question. What are the things that are above that he's talking about? What is he leading us to think about? In Philippians chapter four, he actually gives us a list of things to think about. Here's what he says in verse eight. This is Paul writing to the church, Philippi. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's a command. So he tells us specifically what to think about. Think about things that are what? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, things that are eternal, and listen, things that matter. Oh, how we get consumed by things that don't matter. I'll give you an example. Um, I usually make fun of people who get frustrated in traffic because there's nothing you could do until we move to a place that has just a lot of horrible traffic. Um, so we're living in a temporary situation right now when we're, we're building a house, and um, and that we have to get on this service road that's under construction and it's like narrowed down to one lane um, and traffic backs up all day long for like a mile to two miles. It's just horrendous. And, and so far I've been pretty patient with it. Like I just know it. There's nothing I can do about it, right? So just, just go with it. Then the other day the interstate got shut down. So all these uh, 
um, people <laughs> who uh, didn't want to get caught in traffic were like, hey, I'll get on the service road and go around this accident and get back on. But well, they didn't realize they're funneling into this already mess on the service road, so now it's like four miles back or something ridiculous, right? So, but those of us who are regulars here, we know the left lane ends, get in the right lane, wait your turn, it'll, you'll finally get there. But what does everybody do who doesn't know that? They get in the left lane and just take off and they're passing all of us like, thinking that like, woohoo, I got a secret or something. No, there's no secret. Just over that hill, the sign's gonna say merge right and basically all you did was cut in line by about 50 cars. Yahoo, get over. So people were getting frustrated, not me, but people were getting frustrated and they were you know, pulling into the other lane and blocking traffic. Have you seen this? Have you done this? I may have done it once or twice. But anyway, so they're blocking traffic to, to make a point. Don't pass us. Get in line. And then what do people start doing? Start passing us on the service road shoulder, in the grass, semis, rodeo style, just all through the median. We're like, what are you doing? And they're honking. And people are getting mad. And, oh, it was a mess. I may have got a little emotional. Man. So what was that reflecting, though? It was reflecting something about my heart right? I wanted to control the situation. I wanted to get where I wanted to get. I wanted everybody to get in line. It was reflecting about what I was focused on. Now, let's go to where Paul ends here in Colossians, verses 3 and 4. Here's what Paul says in 3 and 4. He says, for you, Christian, have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him and glory. So I want to point out two things. First of all, I want to point out Paul's use of past, present, and future tense. He starts off with the past tense. You have died. It's already happened, right? By faith, you have spiritually, you've died to yourself. The old you is gone. You've died. And now, present tense, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then future tense, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. God is saying, hey, listen, I've got this covered including the traffic jam that you're stuck in. Past, present, future, I'm all over it. But secondly, and I think maybe even most importantly, what I think Paul is saying is, listen, there is a day coming in the future, Christian, when you will appear with Christ in glory and you'll look back on those moments of being stuck in traffic and it will not matter. And that applies to everything of the earth that you allow your heart to become consumed with. There will be a day in the future you will look back and say, it didn't really matter. There was a time in my life where I was obsessed with work. It's all I talked about. When things didn't go my way, I got angry. I was, my mind and my heart were fixed on it, set upon it. And now in eternity, in front of the glory of Jesus, I look back and say to myself, oh, what a fool. Because why? Because it doesn't matter. This is what he's saying, Christ's follower. Draw your gaze upward off of the things of the earth. Place your focus and your attention, your affection on things that matter, namely Christ. He says, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You wanna focus on something commendable and honorable and pure and true, focus on that. Paul is calling our gaze upward, off of ourself, off of our circumstances, off of our possessions, off of our lack of possessions, off of our struggles, off of the things that make us angry, off, the things that, off of the things that stress us out, 
or make us anxious. And he's calling us to fix our mind on Christ. So if we go back to that first word, seek things that are above, namely Christ, what does that mean? Let's just put it into those definitions we talked about. It means to be curious about Jesus. Think about him. I wonder about him. Go to the word, you read about him. You allow your, your, your curiosity about Jesus to drive you into the word. Desire, you desire Jesus. You allow Jesus to capture your attention. You aim your focus and your imagination at him. What's he doing right now? What's he look like right now? What pleases him right now? You take your cravings and you point them at Jesus. You exercise your mind by thinking about him. And you set your affections on him. One of the most powerful tools that you have to set your mind on things above is right here. And so often here at Solid Rock, we try to encourage you not to let this become an item on your to-do list, your daily checklist, okay? Not because we don't want you to read it daily, but because we don't want you to read it solely so you can check a box, right? What we want you to do is we want you to open this daily and maybe more than once daily. Why? Because this is where, right, this is where God grabs our imagination and draws it towards what is true and holy and pure and right and just. How do we know what justice is unless we read the book on justice? How do we, read, how do we know what lovely is in a culture where lovely looks different depending on who you ask? We go to the book that tells us what lovely is. What does it mean to be beautiful? What does it mean to be honorable? What does it mean to be strong and courageous? But most importantly, what does God look like? Who is he? What does it mean that God is omniscient and omnipotent and everlasting and omnipresent and you have to engage your imagination and let the word of God partner with your mind. Try to imagine right now. What does it look like to see Jesus at the right hand of God? What does that look like right now? Just imagine it. See what you're doing? You're you're setting your mind on things above. So Christians, this is primarily for us. Here's your command. Set your mind on things that are above. Seek after things that are above. But the very first phrase that we read today was this. If then you have been raised with Christ. What if you haven't been raised with Christ yet? What if you're here today and you aren't a Christian? You've never trusted in Jesus as your savior. You never placed your faith in him and him alone. Like, I wanna talk to you for a minute. Like the most important decision you could make, not just today, but with your entire life, is to trust in Christ. And what happens when you trust in Christ, the old you is put to death and you are raised by faith to walk in a new life. You're raised with new affections. What used to matter to you doesn't matter to you anymore. Now Jesus matters to you. What you used to spend all of your time thinking about before is is buried with Christ. And now you've been raised to think about things that are honorable and and noble and pure and true and right. So if that's you and you're here today, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but listen, I want you, I'm pleading with you that you would consider making a decision to trust in Christ today. If you're not ready to do that, you 
you just want some time to think about it, you want us to follow up with you, you could grab a, one of the next steps cards and just write, just check on there, becoming a Christian. I'm interested in learning more about becoming a Christian and we'll follow up with you. You could grab one of our prayer partners today. Maybe you're not ready to make that decision, but you just want somebody to pray about it with you. You want somebody to know that you're wrestling with that decision. Let our prayer partners know. They're not gonna, not gonna peer pressure you into becoming a Christian today, but just let somebody know, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian. I'm wrestling with this decision so we can partner with you. We can pray with you. We can answer any questions you might have. So I'm gonna pray now that God would uh, work through his word as we've heard it today. Um, that God with Holy Spirit would lead us to respond. Worship team, if you guys are ready, come back up. Our prayer partners are gonna come forward. Let's pray together and then we'll respond. Um, Father, we thank you for your powerful and your beautiful word. God, we thank you for the Bible. And God, thank you for the way that you instruct us and you correct us. Um, You inform us and God, you guide us through your word. God, we confess that even as Christians, we still struggle with focusing on things of the earth. And so God, I pray you would, God, just reveal to us those areas of our life where we are still far too consumed with the things of the earth. God, and and you would equip us and empower us to shift our focus towards you. The person here who's not a Christian, God, I pray. God, I pray that you would God, stir a faith in them that leads to salvation. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. As the band gets ready to lead us, I want to leave you with one challenge. I want to challenge you to do something this week, sometime within the next seven days. I want you to find somebody you trust who is a Christian, maybe your spouse or a brother and sister in Christ. I want you to ask them to evaluate your heart and your mind. I want you to ask them, hey, what do I talk too much about that doesn't matter? What do I care too much about that in the big picture doesn't really matter? I'm gonna encourage you to to take that step. It's a courageous step, uh, but this is how we get to the place where we learn, where we need to fix our mind and our heart on Christ. I'm gonna leave you with that challenge and the band's gonna lead us now in response.